Welcome in everybody to the Longhorn Republic, your source for Texas Longhorn news, sports, and opinions with a bit of snark built in. We are a podcast of Burn Orange Nation. You can find more great Texas Longhorn content over at burnorangenation.com. If you like what we do, please leave us a rating or review on Apple Podcasts. It helps get the show out there. Share this with your friends. Wherever you found it, whether it was Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spotify, anywhere where you find fine podcast content, you can find Kyle and myself. Connect with us on social media at Longhorn Pod on Twitter, the Longhorn Republic on Facebook and Instagram, or you can shoot us an email, LonghornRepublicPod at gmail.com. My name is Gerald Goodridge. I'm your host this week, like I am every week. And I'm joined by the man who's going to lead the PJ Tucker Championship Parade, Kyle Carpenter. Kyle, how are you? I just presume he's getting his own parade in, in Austin and just uh, every street it crosses, he puts on a new pair of shoes, I presume. I don't know. Um, I uh, This is the best thing about having a show on on uh, comes out on Tuesday and a show that comes out on Thursday is I get to open a show talking about my dude, PJ Tucker, uh, NBA champion. As he said, when they say my name, now they have to say NBA champion, a man who's had a career. Uh, he's done it since being drafted, you know, being a, a all American big 12 player of the year in college at UT, a guy who could do it all got drafted, just out of the first round um had a kind of up and down career had to spend time overseas before he found his niche uh as a lockdown defender three and d rebound tenacity tough grit kind of guy and as the league really went to value those type of guys he's really he's having a late career renaissance he's older than than the average uh the average uh player who who plays as mean and nasty as he does um but truly truly wonderful for him um on a rockets team that featured chris paul and and james harden and uh trevor reza and clint capella at one point he i think knocked out every one of those players in this playoff run (laughs) um so pj tucker as we've always said the last man standing uh always the guy you want on your side just really really pumped i loved watching vince uh, shout him out. Uh, Houston runs deep. I loved, uh, you know, all the, the old former players, even Kat Osterman from, from, uh, the Olympics was, was, was tweeting, uh, or Instagramming, uh, PJ. It's, it's, he was a beloved character from a time that we hold dear in our hearts of, of the 40 acres. And it's great to see a career get the exclamation point. I am going to go out on a limb and say that P.J. Tucker might be the only basketball player in history to have a championship trophy from the NBA, the German League, and the Israeli Super League. Just going out there on a limb, that he's the only player to have a championship trophy from all three. Now, again, a lot of guys have have done the triple dip of those three leagues, but I say a lot of guys, probably a handful of guys, but I don't know if any (laughs) of them have won all three. And so that's... um, like it's so cool to see again a guy who we love and a guy who um you know didn't get a lot of the shine he uh deserved for the contributions he had on a lot of teams where he was um uh, he wasn't the star but he was the glue guy he was the guy that hold held a lot of things together um you know started every game for a lot of teams played a bunch of minutes for a lot of teams and so like his ability to be um a defensive force it doesn't show up a lot on the stat sheet i mean he's 
I think his career high is like nine four, uh, nine point four points per game. But uh, grit plays per game. He probably leads the league, uh, not all time, but he's probably top ten. I think all time in grit plays. But like again, seeing a team come together like that, and you know, I was I was pulling for the the Suns a little bit because I want to see Chris Paul get a, get a ring, and this is probably his last uh, chance to be the guy on a team that's going to make a run in a championship, but that's either here nor there. Uh, again, congrats to Big Candle guy, PJ Tucker. We are very glad that you managed to get this. And it just, I don't know if it's thrown out there, Gerald, the seventh Longhorn to win an NBA championship joining Slater Martin, Tristan Thompson, Sexy Dexy Pittman, Corey Joseph, Avery Bradley, and Kevin Durant. And final fact, then we'll move on. Giannis obviously earned his MVP. But if you are a fan of box score plus minus in game six, no player had a higher uh, plus minus than PJ Tucker's plus 13. Only attempted one shot, but plus 13 while he was on the court. So PJ MVP. So PJ winning a championship with the Milwaukee Bucks is big news. But um, the biggest news, I think, of... I'm just going to probably the biggest news of the offseason, unless something explodes in the next couple of weeks um, or it actually happens. But at 2.38 p.m. on uh, Wednesday, July 21st of 2021, um, Houston Chronicle writer Brent Zwernerman, hope I got that right, reported that Texas and OU have contacted the SEC about joining the conference and there's a longer conversation to be had about how and why Brent has that. And we'll come up to that in just a minute. Um, but as the story unraveled, it seemed like there's probably been a little more than flirting and they've probably been sending some late night texts to each other. There have been reports that as early as next week, Texas and or OU could be informing the big 12 that they are indeed leaving for different pasture so in the conversation there's been a lot but kyle just knee-jerk we've been chewing on this for a couple of hours now what is your knee-jerk reaction to the possibility that texas and ou are heading to the southeastern conference uh sec later big 12 no um it's interesting i think the writing has been on the wall that texas and ou have been have been flirting a little i've been exploring options pac 12 maybe the Big Ten, maybe some independent combo. SEC might be the best of the bunch. Um, we know that the conference goes as far as OU in Texas. And and um, you saw Texas win the Big 12 championship in like 13 sports this year. So really the conference, if you look outside of just football, goes as, as far as Texas. So without those two, eesh, I don't know what happens to everybody else. Um, again, the most interesting and latest rumor is that and the one we're talking about here today is that Texas and OU would go to the SEC, which gets wild when you think about the hypotheticals of a, of a 16 team conference over there to eight team divisions. You could have uh, one division that included, you know, like three old historic rivals for UT and Arkansas and M OU could be really, really interesting. Um, Again, we don't know the specifics of how it would play out. We don't know the legitimacy. Both universities are putting out very similar sounding, but uh, kind of, uh, we're not going to comment. Things are crazy. Whoa, what? Uh, statements. So um, it's interesting to say the least. I don't, 
I don't hate it. I will say that. Um, I, I don't hate Texas not being afraid. Uh, Texas has wanted to play A&M for, for, for years, and it's come out with multiple reports that, that A&M has been afraid to play Texas, while Texas has been very willing to play A&M. That's not Longhorn bias. That's well-reported fact. Um, if they were to join the SEC and – force AM. I don't know how AM would get away with not playing them. Um they'd have to, you know, put a clause in, but force them to play them or 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 run further scared and would obviously be the premier team in the state of Texas in the conference. And Aggie would lose literally the one thing they tweet about, the one thing they sell to recruits is you can play SC football and and stay home in the great state of Texas. Well you can do that in Austin now, again, which brings its litany of advantages over College Station and literally would take the one trump card that AM has ever had. Better conference. Cool. Uh, I, I find it, if for nothing else, hilarious for that reason. There's, there's, a, there's a lot to unpack with this, but as you talked about, I think the... Um, it seemed like when this, when all this started to happen 10 years ago, right? And it was Texas to the Pac-12 or the Big Ten or whoever you believed, right? It felt like Texas was more concerned about the brand academically and really how um, they would be able to compete on the field, right? And it seems like Del Conte is, is more of a, like, let's go challenge ourselves and we will rise to meet the challenge type on this. And so that is... Um, that's part of the conversation to have. And I think the other part of the conversation to have is that it seems like for everybody involved, if you're not AM or Missouri, this is a solid decision, especially as when you get to 16 teams, halves of the conference almost get too big to really manage for your scheduling. So it could be a, a pod situation. And God, I would mm-hmm. just love to have a pod that's OU, Texas, Texas A&M and LSU and just beat the Aggies back into submission. Whole nother conversation <laughs> for another day uh, about what that looks like if it happens. But this would really allow the SEC, the conference and all of it to put like an extra probably eight figures in each school's pocket um, when it comes to rights fees. And that's what drives the ship. Right. It's it's the yep. amount of money that you can add. If you look at the TV revenue from last year, Texas and OU would have been the number one and number five money schools, respectively, in the conference if they were yep. in the SEC. And so that's what's driving the ship. And, and I'm fine with that because college football is a business and Texas. And OU joining the SEC is one step closer to the abolition of the NCAA. So that's a, another yes. part of the conversation, which, again, death to the NCAA. We'll always say that. Daryl, do you remember the jokes, by the way, when the European Super League of Soccer existed for like yes. almost 24 hours? And people were like, what if we did that in college football? And it was basically the SEC plus OU in Texas plus Clemson and like maybe – your pick of of one to three Big Ten schools, maybe throw USC in there. Okay, kick Missouri. Okay, so you kicked a couple SEC schools out, but it was pretty much like six teams from the SEC, OU, Texas, and then four other teams around the country. Like basically, they are making the Super Conference. Uh, they are one step closer, like you said, to getting rid of the need for conferences. There are the big boys, and then there's 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 the the others, and um. <laughs> I don't hate it. Like I, I like the idea of not playing um, TCU, Baylor, Texas Tech, Iowa State. You know, the teams that historically they have had spells of being 
pretty good, but have not are not anywhere near what you would consider college football blue bloods have the historical, um, you know, just history that you have with Alabama, uh, that you have with, with, with Florida, that you have with you know, Georgia to some extent that you have with, you know, Texas OU that, that you just, these, these, these true longtime pristine, uh, programs. And we're just talking college football, right? Like you get, a top five baseball team in, in, in Texas, you get a top five basketball team in Texas. You get the premier women's sport, you get OU's, you know, unbelievable gymnastics national champion dynasty program. Um, you know, uh, you get the best swimming program. Like basically when you do this, like it, if this happens, the sec by adding these two teams is unquestionably the best in, in everything. Now, like really honestly, there's, it's hard to find a sport that, uh, it, it isn't the best by adding Texas and OU into it. Again, the the level of competition rises. The level of everything rises, and and like even the level of of Aggie tears would rise because you heard immediately following it was actually and the best part about this Jimbo Fisher was at SEC Media Days this afternoon. It ain't oh, nobody yeah. talking about it. Come on, suck it, Aggies. <laughs> um, so Ross Bjork, the athletic director from Texas A&M, who's gone on long saying that A&M doesn't need to play Texas and they were the ones that were trying to schedule it, right? He, he, he said this. He said this, and he finally showed his yellow belly that we want to be the only <laughs> SEC team from the state of Texas. And I'm going to say this. As an entitled Texas fan, who's been called an entitled Texas fan before, the fact that the Aggies assumed that they had any level of clout to keep the Longhorns out and everybody else said, nah, fam, we're good. It just, it's music to my ears, Kyle. I love that so much. I would, I would want to marry it. This is not fact, folks. You're listening to this. This is reporting. But the, the, the source is... is- claimed to be very good it's now a couple more sources it sounds like there's some there's some smoke uh with this um but if it were to happen on whatever timeline and we could talk about all of the possibilities and things there's there's hours of content for gerald and i to dive into here but <laughs> if it were to happen it would require 11 out of the current 14 member schools of the sec to vote yes so assuming of course they have made it very clear that uh Texas A&M will be voting no. You need to get uh, every you could you could even throw in a Missouri potentially again. The two teams that left the Big Twelve and don't want to have to play Texas and be in that shadow again. Um, so even if you did that, you still need to get two more schools uh, to say no. And so again, let's say proximity. LSU doesn't want it because they like being able to come in and snatch, you know, Texas or, 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 you know, being the closest school to Texas. Um, maybe that's a third. I don't know. I can't think unless there's some long deep seated grudge that Vanderbilt has held or Kentucky <laughs> is waiting to, you know, uh, to somehow avenge in 1983. I don't know. I, I don't know where you get that fourth no vote. It seems pretty, pretty good. And again, Gerald said at the top, and this I think is the most important part of this, money talks. Texas, obviously, in its worst decade of football, not necessarily the whole athletic program, of course, but in football, which is the highest revenue sport, remains the number one highest revenue athletic department 
in the country. They just won an award for having the best athletic department, the, the winningest. Um, they won three national championships. They, they're, this is the worst decade of Texas football, and they still, again, make more money than anyone. Think about the fact that you can bring that in. You can split some of those TV rights. You, 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 you rise the tide. All of a sudden, South Carolina has 10 extra million dollars. Arkansas, who, you know, doesn't have all the natural resources, but has grit and toughness and, and want to, all of a sudden just has 10 million extra dollars. Money talks. And so I I don't even know if you get, it could be very well that it is a 13 yays and one nay, which would actually be the most perfect way for this to play out. I would be shocked if Missouri didn't vote no on principle. I would be shocked, right? Because they were also, they weren't as loud complainers as as the Aggies were, but they were they were not pleased with the big the Big 12's deference to Texas. Um, and you know what? Stay mad, die mad. I don't care, right? Like, bring something to the table worthwhile. Bring it two hundred and thirty eight million dollars in athletic revenue in a year to the table, and they'll defer to you too. And again, as an elite tech, elitist Texas fan, I it is what it is, right? Like, I there's nothing you can really say other than like money it's it's a money league nil it's a money league all of these things college football sports in general is all about money it's all about the tv dollars and so this would allow the sec to go back to abc that they just signed a massive rights deal and say give me more we now have i don't know four of the top 10 for the top six brands in college football standing in our conference, go ahead and pay us more. And, and ABC would probably have to do that. And so I'm like, again, there's a lot of chips left on the table, but um, there have been reports that, that Texas and OU are, are going to re- tell the big 12 next month that they're not going to renew or next week that they're not going to renew their TV uh, rights deals. And so that would be the first uh, step in some sort of renegotiation, whether it's to leave the conference or to force their hand to reevaluate who's in the conference and bring other teams in, right? There are things, other things that could happen here, but when push comes to shove, there's a lot of smoke that something's going to happen. It's very likely that Texas and OU may be heading a little east. So we talked about it on our Tuesday show that uh, we hit the recruiting news briefly, but we wanted to bring one of our friends back on the show. And really, it's all to, to make Mike jealous. Um, but we've got our friend Nick Harris from 247 Sports here to help us uh, talk about the big week end of basketball recruiting. So, Nick, man, thank you so much for taking some time out. How are you doing today? Absolutely. Thank you guys for having me. Uh, I'm doing pretty good. Can't complain. Just got back from a, a three day long coaching convention down in San Antonio. So it was a uh, it was quite the week. Um, but uh, yeah, I'm excited to get after it and start talking about basketball. Oh, I was gonna say I appreciate your ability to uh, to switch your brain over like that. I know THSCA uh, gets pretty deep into football. You can go as deep in the X's, the O's or, you know, maybe the occasional alcoholic beverage. I'm not here to, to, to tell stories or lies. Uh, but uh, uh, the, the fact that your brain is clear enough after all that uh, hours and such to uh, to switch over and go straight into basketball just shows you are a man of renaissance, man, a man of talents, Nick. Yeah, absolutely. And I can actually tap into something a little from the from the conference. Obviously, there's a lot of football, but all sports are there. And I was able to check out a, a panel that Vic Schaefer was putting on um, yesterday, uh, the head coach of the Texas women's basketball team. Really nice. interesting. And, you know, a lot of the, of the high school coaches around the country uh, on the Texas women's side uh, of basketball, um, you know, really like him, really like, you know, the engagement he's had with uh, with the coaches and, you know, the players. So I don't know. I thought that was something kind of interesting coming out of the weekend that I didn't expect to get. So 
I, I figured I'd throw that out there. We are big supporters of Coach Schaefer and just women's sports in general. Women's yeah. basketball is fun. And we are, again, uh, anytime we can rep the, the ladies of the 40 acres, we are down to do so. But we're unfortunately, we don't have any recruiting news for them. But as soon as we do have some, we'll we'll talk about it. But we're here to talk about the two big recruiting moves from the weekend. So if you have been living under a rock, then you don't know that Texas landed uh, probably the number one transfer target in the transfer portal point guard uh, Marcus Carr from Minnesota. He uh, basically had it down to either Texas or go play po- pro ball in Australia and decided to pick the Longhorns. And so Texas now has um, like what, five players in the top 30 ish uh, of transfer players coming in. So Nick, uh, you were pretty dialed in with this recruitment. It's like, what, uh, what, how did, how did this work out for, for the Longhorns and how did they uh, land? Who's really a high priority target for them. Yeah, from the moment he entered the transfer portal, um, I think it was a couple of weeks before the deadline, um, you know, Texas, you know, reached out to him um, and there was a, a really good lead right off the bat. Uh, they got off on the right foot. Uh, and that's been, you know, really important for Chris Beard and the rest of the staff to, you know, land these transfer targets because as soon as they, you know, find out that they're in the portal, they're going right after them. And, you know, they're, they're trying to find their contact information and, you know, trying to get them on campus. Um, and uh, they were able to do that with Marcus and um, uh, Kansas, Kentucky, Louisville, they were all uh, involved. Louisville probably posed the biggest threat, but it wasn't really, you know, a ginormous threat, obviously. Um, but, you know, late down the stretch, the offer from the NBL, um, the professional league out in Australia, you know, that, that definitely served as a, you know, concern for, you know, people on the Texas side, but, I, I wonder how this recruitment would have gone if NIL wasn't passed two weeks ago, uh, because there's a lot, there's a big pitch towards, you know, recruits on the basketball, football, whatever, um, a side of things uh, where you can go to Austin, Texas, you can play, you know, one year or four years and, and make a lot of money. And, you know, they, I think they were able to, you know, do that with Marcus Carr, uh, show him that, you know, there's a lot more opportunities in Austin right now than Australia. Um, and, you know, that was good enough to secure his commitment. And, you know, what Texas gets in him is a, uh, you know, a really, you know, dynamic playmaking guard who, you know, can shoot really well, uh, reliable free throw shooting, which I think everyone uh, that's listening to this podcast will enjoy, um, you know, really good defense. And I think what's really going to help is the, the Texas roster finally has somebody that can reliably uh, facilitate the ball. And not to yeah. say that, you know, Andrew Jones or Courtney Ramey couldn't do that. Um, but I, I just don't think they would, they could do it on a consistent basis quite like Marcus could. He, he really has a really good understanding of the game, knowing when to take it himself and when to, you know, pass it off. And obviously that's the most important, you know, trait to have as a point guard. So, um, you know, adding Marcus Carr, you know, puts this team in a really good category as far as, you know, elite teams for this next season. So, uh, definitely a big ad for Chris Beard. Well, and, and he's a guy who, I mean, if you watch college basketball last season, you saw him in a, in a loaded Big Ten. I think Big Ten and Big Twelve were were, were both obviously loaded, but uh, a guy who stood out. And I, I saw a couple games. I actually caught his Nebraska forty-one point game uh, just on ESPN, and and just said, "Who the heck is this guy?" But the thing that was interesting with him is he uh, he uh, has car specifically has been a scorer on a team that lost an NBA caliber guard uh, the year before his assists went from six and a half a game down to just about five and his points went up four points a game. Basically he was a scorer. but on this team, do you see Marcus Carr having the skill set to come in and kind of facilitate? You said he could move the ball, but really truly step back down and let the other guys shine. Cause there's a lot of guys who want to put the ball in the basket. Not, not a bad problem to have, yeah. but you need a guy who's going to, going to kind of shepherd that whole operation. 
Yeah, and I'm glad you mentioned that because that's the biggest problem now. And it's one of the best problems you can have is that you have so many, you know, really good scores on this roster, so many really good, you know, facilitators on this roster that, you know, how is the how are you going to appeal to everybody in this offense? And, you know, obviously they have a plan or else, you know, all of these transfers wouldn't have come. Um, but that's gonna, that's definitely going to be, you know, the mission over the course of the next, you know, two, three months is, you know, figure out how these guys gel with each other, figure out the chemistry of this team and figure out, you know, who can really be the offensive weapons, um, you know, maybe who's more reliable on the defensive side of things. Um, it, it, that, that's a good question. And I don't have the answer for it right now, but hopefully in about two months, I will. Wait, I mentioned it already, but the, the question that jumps into my mind is like, you know, Beard showed up and he had. Brock Cunningham on the roster. That's that's it, right? <laughs> so they they hit the transfer market really hard. And, and how how they sold Texas to these top tier guys? Like what's what's been the the pitch? What's been the recipe for success? Uh, because they've landed again a ton of of talent that's going to come in and make an immediate impact. It's been the absolute perfect storm through these uh, you know first three ish months that uh, Beard has been on the job. He was able to put together you know a perfect staff uh, from recruiting side of things. Um, just looking at Yurik Malagy and how important he's been with not only transfers, but, you know, bringing in a 2022 commit that we'll talk about a little bit later. Uh, Jarence Howard um, from Kansas. Uh, that's one of the best recruiters in the nation, being able to get him on staff. And as well as Chris Ogden and Rodney Terry, those are two guys that are really personable and, you know, build relationships from the ground up. And uh, the man at the top, Chris Beard, um, you know, just looking at his resume, what he's been able to do, you know, throughout his career, uh, whether he even be before Tech at, uh, at Little Rock to, uh, to his time at Tech, what he was able to do in the Big 12. And now combine that with the resources that he's going to have at Texas and then also the NIL getting passed at the beginning of the month. I mean, it, it has gone absolutely perfectly, you know, since uh, since Beard has taken the job. Um, and it almost like concerns me how perfect it's gone for him. Right. Uh, <laughs> but um, but yeah, it, it's just been a perfect storm. And, you know, it, they've really been able to pitch these guys on, you know, roles that they want and roles that they need. Um, and uh, it's going to end up working out for them. Yeah, I mean, looking at the the, the ESPN or CBS kind of combined the two, they each did a portal ranking, you know, plus or minus one or two on here. But when you have number one, number six and Timmy Allen, number nine and Trey Mitchell, Dylan Disu, Christian Bishop, basically all top 30 guys. This is almost decidedly going to be the most talent Chris Beard has ever had. Uh, he's had really good players on some really good tech teams and, and got some guys to the league on those teams, but um, I, I don't know what insight anyone can have because we have to see it. But I mean, do, do you, what in the world do you even think Beard is going to do to manage all those guys to get the minutes spread around? Because not only do those guys get the ball in, but that goes six, seven deep when you think about Ramey and Febris and 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 the guys who are coming back uh, as well. There's 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 a lot of dudes uh, on, on this and 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 uh, a lot of guys who who deserve to play. Yeah, and that's going to be, you know, part of the challenge again um, over the next the course of the next two to three months. Um, again, Beard has an idea for these guys or else he wouldn't have brought them all on. Um, I, I, you know, I, I firmly believe that. And it's just kind of talking to sources in Austin, you know, that they're kind of, you know, what are we going to do <laughs> almost? But it's, it's not a panic. What are we going to do? It's just like, oh, crap, what are we going to do now? Like we have, these guys, <laughs> but, uh, you know, we're going to have to figure this out. But um you know, the early return so far is that, uh, you know, these these transfers, they come on campus and they've gelled right off the bat. Every single day, these guys are, you know, hanging out, whether it's, uh, you know, going to events with coaches, you know, going to the union, playing bowling, you know, things as small as that to, you know, going to Pluckers and West Campus and, you know, having a good time. Uh, they've really emphasized off the court 
rather than on the court here in the you know first two months that these guys have been on campus. And I think that's going to be the most important thing whenever they're figuring out those roles and figuring out, uh, you know, who's going to be the leaders on this team and who's probably going to have to take a step back. But, I mean, we can look at the backcourt. I think that's probably something that has, you know, a little bit more clarity right now. Marcus Carr is going to start. I don't think that's, a you know, a, a secret to anybody. He only has one year of eligibility left. He wouldn't have come here if he didn't start. Um, and uh, so Devin Askew is probably going to take a seat back. And I think that's going to be phenomenal for him because he needs a lot of development. Um, and he's going to be a guy that I think, you know, after this one year with his experience behind him, can step in that role, uh, you know, whether him or Arterio Morris and, you know, take a step up. And uh, looking at shooting guard, you also you have, uh, you know, Andrew Jones um, and Courtney Ramey who starts between those two guys is going to be kind of interesting. And also does Beard use a three guard, you know, uh, format. Um, that's, you know, another thing that's kind of waiting to be seen, but things are kind of leaning towards that way. And looking at the roster, it's going to kind of lean towards that way. So it wouldn't surprise me to see a one, two, three of uh, Marcus Carr, uh, Courtney Ramey, Andrew Jones. Interesting. And then, and then Biggs, I don't even want to put you on the spot because any, anything of Alan Dusu, Mitchell, <laughs> Bishop, uh, you know. Yeah, I, that's really interesting because, you know, do you move, um, you know, a guy like Timmy Allen up to the three and, you know, put Dylan Dusu at four, Trey Mitchell five. Um, and you also have Christian Bishop in that, in that mix who could easily be a starter as well. So, and don't forget about Jalen Tyson, I'm not saying he could start, but he's a guy that can contribute, you know, right. quite a bit in his first season. So, it's a great problem to have. And, you know, Sorsen Austin told me that last week as well. And uh, it's, it's definitely going to be interesting over the next course of the next couple of months. I believe they call that an embarrassment of riches. And so keeping <laughs> that train going, uh, the first commitment of the 2022 class under Chris Beard is now official five-star point guard, Ontario Morris, who you uh, mentioned earlier, who is um, absolutely just a, an incredible athlete. Um Averaging what twenty three points and six rebounds and uh, per game currently, he's the first five star since uh, Andrew Jones, right? And he's um, a DFW kid, I think, with Louisville uh, for him. And so that's uh, again a first guard from Dallas Fort Worth area since Andrew Jones. So um, again, big pickup for Chris Beard. So tell us a little bit about what he brings to the team and uh, what we can expect from him. Yeah, absolutely. He's going to play at Louisville High School this upcoming season. It's kind of a, a relatively new school that's, you know, hoping to play a national schedule. And we'll, we'll get to that here in a bit. But last season, he played with uh, Dallas Kimball. Um, he's a Dallas ISD kid, which just really excites me and excites uh, a couple of my friends that follow, you know, Texas basketball. And uh, he was able to lead them to the state championship last year in 5A and just came up short in overtime. And, uh, you know, this is a kid that can take over a game like that in, in the snap of your fingers. Um, he's, uh, he's really, really athletic. I think that's probably his best trait. Um, he's, uh, we compare him to John Moran on 24 seven sports and I'm a huge John Morant fan. So I'm a little lenient whenever I say that, but I, I kind of <laughs> do like, I kind of do like the comparison. He's a, uh, he's, he's really athletic, really bouncy. He can shoot in spurts. Um, and he's also a really good facilitator. Um, he's, he's a huge add to this 2022 class right off the bat, but I, I, it's also really important to emphasize that the, the battle is not over with Arterio Morris. Um, after his senior season, there will certainly be professional opportunities that come his way. And, you know, as far as we can tell right now, he's going to listen. Um, but uh, obviously there's a, a really good chance that he ends up at Texas. I'd probably give it an 80% chance at this point. That's that's really interesting, and, and that, that's going to be um, an interesting dynamic. The, the the recruiting in college basketball evolves, you know, uh, every few years, and, and the the rise of 
uh, like Marcus Carr with NBL and Australia as a league that's an option with kind of Lamelo and a couple few guys who've gotten drafted out of there makes it interesting. I mean, Europe always uh, you've seen so it is an interesting um, kind of uh, kind of scene there. But but one of the things that's that's also interesting and you've seen probably in the past ten or fifteen years is these kind of you mentioned national schedule these these teams that have a national presence um, and he he basically went to. I'm going to say one of the best teams in Texas uh, and, and is teaming up with one of the, let's call them five best players in the state of Texas, who is also a Texas target. Um, what does that look like next year? His, his senior season uh, with, with, with the, you know, the backcourt that he's going to be a part of with Keontae George. Yeah. He's going to be playing with the number four player in the country. It's only Amani um, Bates, Jalen Duran, and Amari Bailey that are ahead of him. Uh, and then it's Keontae George at four in our 24 seven sports composite. Um, I like to compare him to Devin Booker. Our, uh, our um, 24-7 sports uh, uh, profile has him with D'Angelo Russell, which I think is a, another really good comparison. Uh, but the guy can you know, score in spurts at all three levels. Um, he's really, really talented, um, and he's a rebounding machine. And uh, I think that's really important in today's game from a backcourt perspective. You know, Just as important as it is for frontcourt guys to shoot the three, I think it's just as important for backcourt guys to be able to get down low and get some rebounds. Um, and Keontae George, uh, he's, he does that. Um, and him playing with Artario next year at iSchool, man, that's going to be really scary. And Jeff Goodman, he was saying it in uh, Artario's commitment thing that they did on uh, the field of 68. And he's like, man, if y'all lose a game next year, like uh, that's an embarrassment. <laughs> <laughs> he was joking, but it's kind of serious. Um, you know, that's going to be a really talented team. They also have an Oregon State commit on that team. Uh, they have a really good, uh, you know, depth uh, on the bench as well. You know, they have some really good young guys. That's going to be a really exciting team. And it's only about 10 minutes from my house. So that's my favorite part of it. So I'm going to be nice. able to see a lot of uh, Lewis high school games next year but uh yeah I think you know Arterio going ahead and locking things down obviously helps a ton with Keontae um Texas already had a pretty sizable lead for Keontae they just need to you know keep you know working through the uh working through the uh, the process and um hopefully they can lock down his decision before a senior season and one of the interesting things I've been keeping an eye on in the portal when we talk about all that talent there's six seniors who for sure aren't going to play after next year I think Carr, Andrew Jones is like a 12th year senior, uh, but Timmy <laughs> Allen, Christian Bishop, Ramey Febbers will all be gone. Anyone else could, you could lose more than that to the draft, of course, but at least there's going to be a big turnover again. So getting, you know, Tyson with a year on Hemiskew and then you, these two guys you just talked about and anyone else they add in, um, they, this is, this is that dynasty building and, 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 Beard is not just a portal pirate. He has a good record of 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 getting relationships with kids, building them up, and 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 getting them through the program again. He wasn't at Tech for twenty years or anything, but even in his time there, had a pretty good record. So, I mean, if if you had to judge Chris Beard, would you say you know that is a strength of his his relations with high school kids and then getting them through the program? Absolutely. And that's the strength of his staff as well. He assembled this staff with the, you know, intent of being able to not only recruit the state of Texas really well, but the entire country. Uh, so we can look at Yurik Malagy, Rodney Terry, and Chris Ogden as the really important, you know, staff members that he brought on to recruit the state of Texas. You can add Jaron Howard to that mix as well. Uh, but then you also add Yurik with Jaron Howard. Uh, and that's, you know, gives you a huge advantage in recruiting the entire country. So, um, I mean, they're going after a five-star in Los Angeles, like right now, uh, Kajani Wright, power forward out of, uh, he's going to be playing at Sierra Canyon next year. And they're right in the thick of that race. And that's because of, you know, the relationships that they're able to build with him. They got him on campus for an official visit uh, in June. Um, they're, they're, they're just really good relationship coaches. And I, the biggest thing that I was worried about whenever Shaka left was, is anyone going to be a relationship builder like Shaka? And I think, Beard has been able to figure that out and do that because I think he even realized that was going to be, you know, possibly the biggest thing that he was going to have to open 
from coming into this job, but it looks like he's done it so far. I mean, there's, <laughs> there's nothing I could point to that say, says he hasn't. <laughs> and again, that's, that was losing Shaka, losing his recruiting staff even was, was really solid. So I think the way that, um, Chris Beard has prioritized this recruiting group is showing dividends early. And I think we'll, I mean, you, you've said it, you're probably going to continue seeing that upward trend uh, on the recruiting trail for hopefully years to come. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, um, you know, they're already rec- recruiting the 2023 class really strong as well. I mean, it's just, it's, it's going to keep going. And, um, you know, the, the biggest thing that they, they can prove now is just put it on the court. You know, how is it going to work? And, um, you know, there, there might be a couple stumbles, you know, early in the season in non-conference. There will probably be a fair amount of stumbles in conference play. I think expectations are really high right now for the Texas basketball team. Uh, I think Sweet 16 is a realistic expectation. And anything over that is, you know, obviously going to be, you know, really great for them. So, um, you know, I, I think it's really important to, you know, manage those expectations. But at the same time, you know, this staff is really setting everything up for success at this point. I believe it's all gas and you're applying some brakes. So let's, uh, let's, <laughs> let's adjust those expectations. It's national championship or bust. No, I kid actually. Um, uh, I, I thought I was, you said sweet 16. I said elite eight would, would be uh, a dream as well. So I I'm, I'm in the same camp as you. That's uh, that's fantastic. Anything else on the, on the Texas basketball front you're here and you're feeling you want to share to uh, the, the audience tonight. What's, what's the, what's the, what's the, what's on the bubble for Texas basketball? Men and nothing, nothing really crazy. I know that they're kind of shifting their attention towards, you know, finding some, uh, uh, you know, hires that could work in the um, fan engagement type roles. Cause I, Ooh. I know that they want to, you know, bring fans into the drum th- this next season. That's, that's another huge challenge they're going to have mm-hmm. to overcome. Um, I think they're going to be able to do it early in the season, of course, but when it gets to January, February and the nitty gritty of conference play and they're playing Iowa state on a Tuesday night, <laughs> Can they pack the can they pack the drum? And yeah. um, I, they've been looking into some hires on that side of things. And, you know, I think they're going to make some good choices, uh, you know, especially because Chris Beard and Yurik Malagy were able they were huge contributors in being able to kind of shift the culture at Texas Tech and built one of the, uh, you know, biggest student sections in the country. And cool. uh, they were able to do that, you know, in Lubbock, Texas. So what can they do in Austin? Uh, and, um, you know, that's that's definitely a focus right now. So that'll be interesting. But, you know, uh, regardless, whatever they're able to do, the Moody Center next year is going to be packed a lot. So that's going to be fun times. Awesome. Fans, you hear it. Show up and support the team. Don't have un- outsized expectations on the internet if you're not willing to show up. Um, so, Nick, man, we, we appreciate you taking some time out. Um, I know you you need to get some rest. Those those high school coaches do it big. So if people want <laughs> to get more of what you've got, man, where can they find you on the internet? Yeah, absolutely. Nick Harris 247 on Twitter and Instagram. Shoot me a DM, said you listen to the podcast. We can chop it up for a bit. Awesome. Thanks, man. All right, Gerald, now let's take a look at the world, and we truly this week mean world as we're talking Olympics. We'll save that to the end of this segment, but uh, through the world, through burn orange lenses, uh, start over in England with the Open. I love how British that it's just called the Open. This year's Open took place at Royal St. George, uh, routinely called one of the hardest golf courses in the world. It is uh, the the commentators and everyone was saying, even Cole Hammer uh, said that he was shaking in his boots when when uh, people were telling him about Royal St. George. He hadn't played it before this, but uh, somehow the courses of Austin translated to Sandwich, England, and three Longhorns finished in the top 10, five total Longhorns playing, uh, which was great to see in addition to the three in the top 10. Cole Hammer, again, current Longhorn and just recent graduate, European amateur winner, uh, Christopher Bring also competed. But the top 10 is what I really want to focus on because it's it's 
really, really promising for uh, for UT golf. So in reverse order, Scotty Scheffler uh, finished eighth. He was tied for fourth heading into Sunday. I really thought this might be where we're talking about Scotty uh, with with getting his first uh, major win. Um, but Dylan Fratelli is maybe the feel good story guy on that national championship team with Jordan Spieth. Uh, he finished fifth. He now has top five finishes in the past two uh, majors finished top five in the masters as well as uh, at the open. And then Jordan Spieth, an absolute heartbreaker uh, finished second, 13 under certainly respectable. I think in the last time it, the open was played at, at Royal St. George, there was only one player who even finished under par wins weren't quite as bad this year, but still very impressive 13 under. Uh, but he had two bogeys on Sunday, missed five of the first six greens and lost by, you guessed it, two strokes. Pretty heartbreaking, but he's right there on the cusp. He's going to get it soon. Uh, Gerald, who's your favorite UT professional golfer going right now? It's, that's a hard question. None of the people on this list, Doug Gim, probably, because he's very Ooh. upfront about how um, not marquee he is. One of my fa- he uh, was asked a question several months ago about like the pressure that he's facing, and his response was, "Dude, I'm ranked like 163 in the world," and he was legit. I, and I don't know if that was the exact number, but he was able to quote his exact uh, exact ranking, and he was in the, the triple figures. And so I love self awareness, and and that's I will always ride for Doug Gim. That's an elite answer. I like that. All right. Uh, Texas baseball. We're going to talk a little bit here. Uh, first, got to start with uh, assistant coach Sean Allen, named the Division One assistant coach of the year. Uh, th- th- what an incredible story, uh, Sean Allen. He deserves to be a head coach somewhere. I hope he doesn't do it for a couple more years and sticks around because he's such a uh, weapon in addition, a luxury to have with the UT baseball program. Let's take a moment to remember that he was the hitting coach uh, previously until Troy Tulowitzki arrived and this year switched to be the pitching coach and he won assistant coach of the year the year he made a switch it didn't hurt that his uh, team ERA was the single best in the country but just really really incredible jack of all trades a guy who clearly just knows baseball yeah I mean the the job that this pitching staff and especially like being able to overcome like losing a reliever like Duplantier is is huge. And so the the pitching staff was really incredible this year and turned out to be um, a strength for Texas after some uh, some questions we had early on. The pitching staff really is part of the reason why they were able to make the College World Series and finish with a with a top four uh, ranking. That's a great point, Gerald. This is a young team. We've said that time and time again. Actually, the only team with three freshman All Americans, two of those in the uh, in the bullpen. Um, just a lot of unproven things when Duplantier went down and uh, looked to be our closer, and then we had to figure everything out. Nixon, Witt, uh, just a lot of guys. And obviously, that's not pure luck. That has a lot to do with the job he did. But we're going to talk about some of those guys because there's been a lot of college baseball going on. You say, "What? No college baseball? This is the wrong season." No, it's the the summer leagues, and for a young team, you see a lot of guys guys really sharpening uh, their game. And we'll run through a couple of these. And, and again, stats are fluid. Uh, so they, they they may change by the time you listen to this. They may change by the time you go to tell your friends about it the next day. But Dylan Campbell now hitting 406 with three home runs in the California Collegiate League. A guy we mentioned, Tanner Witt, just dominating for Chatham in the Cape Cod League. Also in the Cape League, Lucas Gordon, an arm who we probably need to talk about when we do our preview for a guy who could wiggle his way into the back end of a starting rotation or be one of our go-to arms out of the bullpen. Just looking really good. Named a Cape League uh, All-Star. And then Doug Hodo, 
just a couple days ago had his uh, had a game winning hit, got his first RBI of the season for Fal- uh, Falmouth in the Cape Cod League as well. So a lot of guys playing up there. Another guy who I love his name because the first time I saw it on the roster, uh, I thought it was LeBron, but it's actually LeBaron, which again is a fantastic name. But LeBaron Johnson uh, touched ninety seven, not slow, uh, but he's currently for the Lexington County Blowfish in the Coastal Plain League, under one ERA, 17 strikeouts in nine innings. That's incredible. It's called Chrysler moving forward. I like it. I might put you, <laughs> I might give you a heads up this time. I put you on the spot last year, maybe two years ago for our instant nicknames segment, and you knocked it out of the park, but that that, that was not fair. Uh, Aaron Nixon, also not playing right now in the summer leagues, but did just finish up pitching for uh, the collegiate Team USA, they they uh, had uh, a few guys. Uh, Texas had both Nixon and Witt um, playing on that team. They split two different teams. Tulowitzki coached one of the two. I think 40 guys were select- selected total to play. Um, again, the college players for Team USA sharpening up against the guys going to represent uh, in the Olympics. So Aaron Nixon, by all reports, dominated there. And then Gerald, your favorite moment of the, the, the summer leagues. I want to hear you tell it. Well, if you are the the type of person who likes to keep up with Trey Faltini, as I am, follow his mom on Twitter, uh, Edith Faltini. She's incredible. Uh, but she uh, retweeted a the Brewster Whitecaps official Twitter feed, which uh, somehow has more followers than we do. But Trey Faltini blasted a home run. Hopefully he gets all of that, um, keeps all of that in a system moving forward. But he hit one off the scoreboard on Tuesday night. Edith was very proud. Of her baby. I like to think of it something like Cam Williams handed the hammer over one position to the shortstop, and next year Faltini's just gonna blast like double digit homers. That's that's how I like to think things are gonna happen. Speaking of homers, Gerald and Longhorns, former Longhorn Trace Barrera got number Uno, got his first career home run for the Washington Nationals. Uh, let's move out of baseball. Uh, women's golf, Sarah Kuskova earned the WCA, uh, WGCA Edith Cummings Munson award, which is basically the, the, uh, Campbell or used to be called Dratty uh, award equivalent. That's, that's for football, the academic Heisman. It goes to the best, uh, academic and on field performer. Uh, she was an honorable mention, all American performer and an all American academic. Uh, so, so, uh, fantastic selection, something we're proud of at UT and keeping in women's sports, uh, Women's tennis won a national championship. We knew they're good, but NCAA, NCAA doubles champion, there we go, finalist Kylie Collins, uh, who tried to double the national championships, won the Evansville 25K doubles title with her partner, who happens to be 16 years old, maybe a future Longhorn there. It's actually the third 25K win of the summer. Uh, we, we commented on the other one, Stearns and, and Lulu Sun, um, both now top hundred top 400 singles players in the world also won one. Um, I, I was seeing tennis Twitter try to figure this out, and no one really could find a stat on it, but no one could remember another single college program. Again, these are professional events that had had three professional event 25K wins, and certainly none by freshmen. All three of those were freshmen last season. So if they don't all go pro on us, um, it could be really dangerous next year as well. Speaking of going pro, someone we love on this podcast, Kyra Lambert from Samuel Clemens High School in Shirts, Texas, signed for a team. Not going to try to pronounce, look it up. Uh, I'm going to, all right. Karis Yaka, Karsi, Kalegi, SK. 
in the Turkish league. That's that is how you say it. Uh, so good for Kyra playing ball overseas. Uh, we'll, we'll have to keep up and see. Maybe she'll meet with our our dude Doge Balbe. Let's get to Olympics now, Gerald. What everyone came to this podcast for. 28 current or former Longhorns or Longhorn coaches uh, at Tokyo Olympics. 26 Longhorn athletes will be competing tied for the uh, largest delegation in UT history, 1988 Seoul, as well as 2000 Sydney. They also had 26. They're looking to add to an impressive medal count that would put many countries to shame. 144 medals, 83 of those gold, 38 silver, 23 bronze. Just really, really solid stuff. They're representing 11 uh, UT sports programs as well as 11 countries, Bahamas, Barbados, Canada, Colombia, Germany, uh, Jamaica, Netherlands, Philippines, Singapore, for Venezuela and 15 for the United States. Uh, UT one of 10 with double digits on Team USA. Out of all of these uh, sports, Gerald, I want you to, to pick which one you're most excited to, to dive into. What's your Olympic Games go to? And we'll run through the list. I mean, first of all, um, stuck at Ukraine, the University of Texas has more total medals than you do. But no, it's either here nor there. I apologize to our Ukrainian listeners. I just had to, to drop that little nugget. Um, I mean, obviously, like track and field is always the one that 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 I like to watch. It's always the marquee things, but specifically track. But like Texas has a shot to uh, pull in some medals in the field. Ryan Cruiser is a guy who probably uh, medal. He's in the shot put. Uh, he's breaking records and those types of things. Swimming, Texas has, again, obviously a really strong chance at bringing home some medals. Getting to see the cat on the diamond one last time will also be nice on the yeah. softball diamond. So seeing her in the ring, actually, uh, first the I think the first official Olympic event she was pitching in was the uh, the softball first game against Italy on Tuesday. So uh, it's exciting to see her. Uh, this is her last ride. She said it on our podcast uh, when we interviewed her a few months back. This is her last uh, go round. So we're we're glad to see the cat uh, going off and into the sunset. And hopefully she does that with a gold medal. Well, and we know Japan is the main rival. Actually, uh, the 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 international peer to Team USA is Japan, so they're on their home uh, field. So, but I think it's thirteen years because we're on a, a year, but thirteen years since softball's been there uh, in the Olympics. And you know who was there the last time? Yeah, Cat Osterman. So um, just one of the craziest stories in the whole Olympic game. So, uh, so pumped for cat to get one last run again, hopefully it will be gold. So Gerald, you mentioned uh track eight athletes there. You, you said Ryan Krauser, Tiana Daniels, also t uh, Tara Davis and Stefan Carter, both in the long jump um, for Columbia, Melissa Gonzalez, current UT junior, Jonathan Jones uh, for Barbados. Uh, and <laughs> There you go. Uh, Pedro Seymour for the Bahamas. You're competing island section here. We also uh, will be representing Jamaica with Stacy and Williams. Um, and then you also mentioned swimming, which UT uh, also puts eight uh, in the pool. I guess three. Also diving there. Well, I'll start with diving. Three diving. Allison Gibson. Uh, our, our guy, Jordan Wendell, who was on a people cover. Uh, look at our Instagram if you want to see who with, but I'll just say literal royalty and i'm not talking about simone biles who should be royal um but uh on on the people magazine cover pretty cool um and uh incoming freshman Haley hernandez as well as coach matt scoggins so i should say four for diving but three athletes and then in the other uh pool events where you swim townley haas uh ut current junior uh drew kibler incoming ut freshman erica sullivan um casper uh corbeau 
uh, for the Netherlands, uh, UT freshman Anna Alent, uh, Joanna Evans uh, for the Bahamas. Excuse me, Anna Alent was Germany. Joanna Evans for the Bahamas. Remedy Rule, which is just an incredible name for the Philippines. Uh, and uh, 2016 gold medalist Joseph Schooling will be competing for Singapore was a feel good story in that last Olympic. So we've covered, uh, I think the biggest sports with our 11 in the pool, eight on the track. Uh, in addition, there will be two in basketball. You may be familiar with both of those, Kevin Durant, as well as Ariel Atkins, both, uh, perennial all-stars in the W and NBA versions. Um, also our first efforts in two sports, soccer as well as rowing julia grasso will be representing team canada in soccer gia dunan uh the first longhorn on u.s rowing uh chiaka agbogu for usa volleyball as well as texas assistant eric sullivan is the associate head coach there and then last certainly not least keeping it back to golf jonathan vegas representing venezuela so whew, a lot to to run through in that list a lot to watch uh a lot of good stuff. I think I love that cat is getting started early. The softball is going to tournament's going to go for a while. I think women's soccer also starting before the opening games will run through the, the duration. So a lot of chance to, to check in on a couple of those long uh, ones with multiple games, but very exciting, very exciting. A lot of longhorns, Gerald, give us, give us the deets. You've done the data, you've done the research. And this is the thing I'm most excited for in the podcast. Gerald, give us your stat of the night. I put it out there on Twitter um, but of you know, you said that the University of Texas has 26 athletes heading to Tokyo. If the University of Texas was a country sending an Olympic contingent, it would be larger than 128 countries that are sending an Olympic contingent, which again, hilarious and fun, but that's how awesome the University of Texas is. Larger than 62% of all of the competing nations. If they were to walk on their own in the opening ceremony, uh, they would be in almost the, the, the final third uh, of largest delegations at the Olympics, just barely missing uh, that. I mean, it is crazy. And it's Take just, that it's East Timor. A long one. <laughs> Uh, Zambia, Botswana, all of you. Yeah. Um, <laughs> no, uh, <laughs> it is, it is, it is pretty crazy. Actually, some of the like relatively sizable countries, uh, that, that, you know, uh, are smaller than, than what we are putting out there. And actually, you know, the, the, always the feel good story, the refugee Olympic team is just slightly larger at 29. Um, which again is always the, the, one of the coolest stories of the Olympics. I love the Olympics, Gerald. I'm jazzed up. I could talk about it for another hour, but I'm not going to the last item on our burn orange lenses so that we could keep this from being a six hour podcast. Uh, tune in to our other uh, podcast for Olympic coverage. It's called rings and tings where we talk about uh, Barbados in the Olympics. Uh, watch list season, Gerald Keandre Coburn named to the Bednarik watch list. Bijan Robinson named to the Maxwell watch list. Those are some, those are some dudes, and we might see some more soon. All right, let's uh, speaking of seeing Gerald the Godzilla Tron. What are you seeing? What are you watching on your giant screen? Uh, this last weekend was a very low volume streaming weekend. My youngest son is turning one, so we had a birthday party, and well, my mother in law just happened to also put in a pool in her home, and so we uh, 
had a little pool party for a one-year-old. Really, it was a pool party for all of his older cousins, but that's fine. Uh, he still got in the giant bathtub as he viewed it and had a great time. Uh, and then we just went back over there Saturday afternoon be- or Sunday afternoon because, uh, well, she has a pool and it's the summer. So why wouldn't she, right? So we just spent most of the day at my uh, my weekend of, at my mother-in-law's house swimming in her pool. But uh, we did watch the Loki finale like last week. It's been a very long time since that happened. And it was incredible. If you didn't watch it, uh, you're missing out. Uh, spoilers, uh, but the 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 big reveal at the end was incredible, and I am excited to see what it means for the MCU moving forward. Carol, never never be upset about a, a pool weekend. That's a good weekend, man. I would kill for that. It's uh, it's been a lot of moving at the house for me as well, um, which meant background shows uh, for the most part. So uh, my father-in-law came over to help me with some projects this weekend uh, around the house, and uh, and. We put on in the background a Netflix show that my mother-in-law was telling us about. And I had very low expectations, admittedly, going in. I just wasn't sure. We watched World's Most Amazing Vacation Rentals, which, again, is is not hotels. It is Airbnbs and places you can rent houses or whatever. And I was like, I don't What is this premise? Let's see. Um, it's really, really cool. They have three hosts, and they basically go to all kinds of places and have a theme for the show. Um, and they will do a like super budget version and then like a just super uh, unique version, something that's just way out there and then one upscale. And the upscale is just always nice to ogle at and maybe our listeners are uh, doing much, much better than, than than myself. And if so, again, feel free to sponsor the podcast by name and image like this. But uh, the upscale is just fun. It's never going to actually come to fruition for me, but seeing just some of the ridiculousness. But the unique ones are always crazy. And the budget ones are nuts. They had stuff in Bali that was like these really cool tree houses with like food included and like all this great stuff for like 24 bucks a night. And it's like, whoa, I could actually do that. But it's really interesting um, in a time where we've spent the year and a half in our, ho- our homes and haven't traveled anywhere. I mentioned I, I bought a new house. So I probably won't be traveling a whole lot uh, for a while either uh, there. Um, it, it was cool to just to see the show and and, and see people traveling and, and get some things and keep building up that dream list where we can go soon. But it was a really cool premise. Interesting. don't know if it's the best show I've ever seen in my life, but it's a fantastic background show while you're working, while you're folding laundry, while you're doing something. Um, we, we plowed through a few episodes. Um, the three different hosts all are kind of interesting, but you really are going to, to look at the the crazy you know places they're staying and and the details and of course it's a Netflix show so it's shot in cameras that like most movie directors would be would be jealous of but so that's my that's my newest and most recent uh, edition I also watched some some last chance you basketball I'll wait till I finish and then give an update there but uh, yeah Gerald that's it for me I'll check it out sounds good but that's all we've got for you this week Kyle where can the good folks find you on the internet. Oh, you can follow me on Twitter. You can follow me at Kyle Carpenter. You can also follow the Texas Pregamer at Texas Pregamer. Follow me on Twitter. I am at GH Goodridge. Follow the show on Twitter at Longhorn Pod. Facebook and Instagram, the Longhorn Republic. Or you can shoot us an email, LonghornRepublicPod at gmail.com. Thank you so much for tuning in again this week. And until next time, hook them. Hook them. Go Team USA and more Team Longhorn.